This morning we continue our conversation which we're referring to as faith people. We've already covered the topics of covenant faith and God faith. And you can find those uh, uh, messages online on our website, on our YouTube channel, and uh, there's the study sheet that is also posted through our website for both those uh, messages. Today we're going to talk about reluctant faith. Uh, this is a, a look at maybe the shadier side of faith. Our passage is going to be Exodus chapter 4, verses 10 through 17, which is part of the call story, the call narrative in which God calls Moses into service. So if you have your Bibles, if you please open them, we're in Exodus chapter 4, verses 10 through 17. Exodus 4, 10 through 17. Hear the word of God. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. May God bless the reading of his word, and may God bless our time together too. Have you ever been confronted with a task for which you were a bad match? Have you ever been given a task to do and you knew in your heart of hearts, this just isn't me. I don't know what to do here. Like if someone were to come to you and said, hey, listen, we've got this uh, skyscraper uh, and it's some 1,200 feet high and it's just covered in glass. Um, our current crew can no longer do the task. We want you to wash all the windows just as quickly as you can. What if someone came to you? What if the government came to you and said, you know, we, um, we have some human rights issues that we want to address across the world, and we'd like you to be our ambassador to Russia, Afghanistan, and China. The plane leaves in the morning. What if someone came to you and said, listen, you know the racial tension we have in our country? We'd like you to address it. We'd like you to lead the whole of the country through uh, the addressing of systemic racism and, and coming together around unity and, and, and equality and empowerment for all. Would you please lead us in that process? For Vicki and myself, we actually took on a task this past week. Um, we got a puppy. It is a task for which we are grossly inadequate. Uh, let me throw a picture up of, of him up on the screen. I, I included a picture just so I could get a few cute points uh, this morning. 
Um, uh, do pray for us. Um, sleep, uh, I guess, will come one day. Um, you know, Christians, if you are a follower of Christ, you have something that is greater than the greatest task. We call them ministries. They're not just tasks. They're not just something that we can check off on some list. Ministries are more than tasks because they are all about love-based relationships. They are focused on the redemption of the lost and people experiencing a redeemed life in this world. In fact, we know from Scripture that if a person is a follower of Christ, here are the ministries that are put before them. These greater-than-tasks ministries. We're called to make disciples, be witnesses, shine light, care for the poor, do justice, stir one another, one another on to love and good works. Which totally begs the question, are we really the best match for these responsibilities? Well, here's what the Bible tells us. The Bible says that God calls us into a relationship with him. That clearly that God, the thing that he offers us is to, to know him and to be in an intimate relationship with him. He calls us into a relationship with him. But for the person who is called into that relationship, he also calls every single one of them into kingdom service. I hope, I trust, I plead, I, I so want and desire that every single one of us listening today or in this coming week to this message, that we would know that we're called into that relationship. But for those who are called into that relationship, every single one of us is called into kingdom service. And when God calls us into kingdom service, he also expects us to respond faithfully. So this morning, what if we were to test our reluctance pulse, our reluctance pulse, when it comes to kingdom service, to those great ministries of disciple-making and witnessing and doing justice and stirring one another on to love and good works, are we hesitant? Are we disinclined? Are we unwilling? Are we totally adverse to doing that which God uh, has called us to? Well, in the story of Moses, we found that in our passage, if you were listening uh, as we read through that, that there were two objections that Moses came up with. That's actually a subset of his overall list of objections. And this morning, we're, we're grateful that uh, others have gone before us and studied the scripture and helped relate to us some of the historical pieces. And in the uh, ancient culture, um, it would be totally appropriate to raise some concerns that that it would bring this, these things up of, uh, of pushback. We'll find that maybe some of these things are is not as egregious before God as we might first think. So what I want us to do is let's look at both the call and then the response. The call and the response. So first to the call, something we find about the call is that what is true for Moses is true generally in Scripture, and it's true for you and me. And there's things about the call that we can learn from Moses' situation, that again is true for Moses, true generally in Scripture, and true for you and me. The first thing is that God calls. 
God called Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. God called Joshua and Gideon and Samuel and David and Isaiah and Jeremiah. God called all of his disciples, all of the disciples of Jesus. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. God calls. It was true for Moses. It's true generally. It's true for you and me. Next thing we might be able to learn then is that God calls the ordinary. In fact, God even calls the lowly. God calls those with checkered pasts. Moses was born into a Hebrew family, and, but he grew up in Pharaoh's house. He committed murder, and when God comes to him, he's actually a shepherd out in the middle of the wilderness. An ordinary individual at this point with a checkered past a lowly shepherd, and God calls them into ministry. God calls the ordinary. He calls people like you and me. We don't have to get to level 10 or, or find the golden ring or, or make some kind, you know, make it through the gauntlet in order to be called by God. You have arrived, and now you can take on this new mission. God just calls ordinary people. It was true for Moses, it's true generally in Scripture, and it's true for you and me. God calls us where we are. Moses was on the west side of the wilderness, representing the west side. He calls Moses when he's on the west side of the wilderness. And he brings him to the burning bush. You, you might be an engineer or a student or, or uh, you might work at home or retire or whatever. Wherever you happen to be, God calls you right where you are. It was true for Moses, true generally, true for you and me. Next, we learn that God calls because he redeems. Take a look at this. This is in uh, uh, Exodus chapter 3, verse 7 through 8. It says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out, uh, up out of that land. God calls because he redeems. God is a redeeming God. That redemption is calling forth. It, 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 God doesn't just leave people. God doesn't just create and then walk away. God redeems. He brings people out of enslavement into freedom. That's what he did in and through Jesus Christ. You know the verse, John 3, 16. We've said it many times. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have eternal life. God redeems. God calls because he redeems. To redeem is to call somebody out of death into life. Let's just take a quick look at the picture of, of what it will look like one day. In this vision that God gives to John in the book of Revelation, we find that in uh, uh, chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, it looks like this. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Our God redeems. In redemption, he calls us out of enslavement into new life and freedom. And finally, God calls people 
to represent his redemption. To represent his redemption. It was true for Moses. In chapter 3, verse 10, we read, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. God calls us to represent him in his plan of redemption for this world. God calls his people to represent his redemption. Acts 1.8, and you will be my witnesses, Jesus says. And you will be my witnesses right where you are, nearby into the ends of the earth. It's all about belonging. Yes, that to, to belong to God is to belong to his people. And to belong to his people is also to, to belong to his mission in this world. God clearly calls. It was true for Moses, true generally in the Bible, and it's true for you and me. So then it comes to how do we respond? How do we respond? Well, let's take a look at the way that Moses responded. And remember, part of this is cultural. Part of this is paying attention to, to how people just dialogue back then, how they showed respect and honor. When we look at verse 11 of chapter 3 in the call story, we find that Moses, in response to this call from God, says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? We might call this a crisis of stature. Maybe we've heard of it too. Who am I to go to my neighbor? Who am I to go to my coworker? Who am I to go to my mom or my dad or my brother or my sister? The idea of responding to God with humility is not a bad thing. Can you imagine if Moses had said, no problem, God, I got this. Why don't you just go chill, just take it easy? It's on me. Such an easy task. <laughs> I'll be back in a week. Would not be appropriate at all. When accurate humility meets the Almighty God, it's a wonderful combination. And we may find ourselves that we're struggling. God, you have this call on my life. You call me to be faithful in representing your redemption in this world. Who am I? Who am I? Who am I to represent absolute, life-saving, eternity-providing truth to another person? You may not know the name. Maybe you do. I'm pretty sure that a lot of us would probably know the phrase. There's this philanthropist, this follower of Christ, um, who's known for this phrase. God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. In other words, it's really God's work. When we have this crisis of stature, it's really God's work. In fact, God's answer to Moses was in verse 12, I'll be with you, but I shall be with you. So then we look in verse 13 and 15 of chapter 3 in this call story, this call and narrative, and we find that Moses asks then, who should I say sent me? Peter ends in his commentary, does a wonderful job uh, uh, on, on just the whole discussion of God providing his name and that, that it may not be uh, for the uh, people whom, uh, to whom Moses is, is going to speak. In fact, this is all about the elders of Israel receiving Moses. 
And the elders of Israel, uh, uh, Peter Enns argues that they would have already known who this God is, and maybe the person who doesn't know who this God is, is Moses himself. In this, this cri- crisis of affiliation and representation, maybe we have found ourselves that place before. God, you want me to be your ambassador? You want me to represent your redemption in this world? I don't even, I don't think I know enough about you. I, I, I don't even know how to answer some basic questions. And what would I say then? And God's answer to Moses was, I am who I am. Or as uh, Douglas Stewart uh, describes it, that, that in the, um, the, the tenses and the moods that are being used in the word is that it's, it may be causal, maybe more causal. So it may be better to respond or to, to translate the, the Yahweh into I cause to be because I cause to be. Listen, Moses, I am. And he goes on to say, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. I'm the God of the covenant. I'm the God of history. I'm the God who's been redeeming. I'm the God who keeps his promises. Moses, you know me. Moses, they know me. This is who I am. Faith founded not just in the idea of God, but in the living God, in the history of the living God, in the relationship of the living God, in the covenant we have with the living God. So then Moses raises another concern. He, he says in the first verse of chapter 4, he says, they won't believe me. They won't believe me. Maybe this is a a crisis of humanity. Listen, I know people. I know people, and they're not going to believe what I have to say. Maybe it's my checkered past. Maybe maybe it's I'm not speaking well, whatever. But they won't believe me. They won't believe me. To which then God responds in this crisis of humanity. He says, listen, give me your staff. And and scholars who know ancient culture tell us that the staff for a person was like their passport. It was like their their ID. Um, If they were an employee, they would have that ID badge and, and it would notify them who they are and the access that they have. And the staff would be this this picture. And so when God says, show me your staff, and he, and he allows it to become uh, uh, this snake, and then Moses only has to touch the end of it, and it becomes the staff again. And so this staff, which now has this sign of God with it, God is essentially saying, Moses, listen, I know your ID. Let me also make it my ID. Let me take your passport and bring my, my power into your passport. And when you go forward and your ID doesn't just represent you, it represents me as well. And so we might say, hey, but I don't know if my neighbor, this calling that was true for Moses, true generally, true for you and me, this calling to represent God's redemption in the world, I don't know if my neighbor is going to believe me. And so we might go, wouldn't it be cool if we had a staff <laughs> that we could turn into a snake? and touch its tail and be a staff. That'd be so cool. We could just make our way around the cul-de-sac, go around the apartment building and go, hey, um, I represent God. Watch this. But God gives us something even better than a staff. Not just a sign, but his actual presence. God gives us his actual presence. He gives us the Holy Spirit. We're past the day of having to have a sign. He gives us his actual presence 
I will be with you. The Spirit of God will be in you. The Spirit of God will be working through you. They won't believe me, but go forward with my Spirit. Then we come to verse 10. The one that we read, it says, where uh, Moses says, I am not eloquent. I am slow, heavy of speech and tongue. You know, I grew up with uh, pastors telling me, and I think I've taught it before as well, that, that what they're talking about here is maybe a, a stammering or a stuttering on Moses' part. I've also read others, though, that have said that this is really more of this cultural identity of going, listen, God, you're really the one with the words, I'm not. And this lowering, this humility being shown. But we might call it a crisis of ability. A crisis of ability. And maybe you found yourself there. God's called you to represent his redemption. And you go, Ugh, I don't know how to do that. God, I, 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 I'm no Bible scholar. I'm no TV evangelist. I don't know how to do that. A crisis of ability. To which then God responded to Moses, listen, who made your mouth? Who gives people the ability to speak? Who gives people the ability to see? It's me, God says. I'm the one. I can overcome that. No problem. Then we finally come down to it. And here's where we get to reluctant faith. In verse 13, after all of these, and they may be culturally appropriate, all these things where Moses is saying, listen, crisis this, crisis that, crisis this. It comes down to this, verse 13. Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. The crisis of our reluctance. Douglas Stewart translates the passage this way. He goes, in a really passive way, in a, in a gentle, passive way, Moses is essentially saying, with all due respect, sir, you must know someone who's available to send. This is when the anger of God is kindled against Moses. Not with regard to all of the statements of humility. All those other things could be addressed, but here Moses is going, okay, I've heard all that. I just don't want to do it. I just don't want to do it. We can notice what was appropriate and easily addressed, crisis of stature, affiliation, or representation, crisis of humanity, crisis of ability. But what riled God's anger, what raised God's anger, was reluctance, human hesitation, disinclination to do the will of God, unwillingness, total aversion to what God wanted to have done. God, I hear you. I just don't want to do it. God, I understand your plan. I just want to live my life my way. When we look at reluctant faith, we find that it's truly just belief without trust. It's assent without obedience. It's faith without faithfulness. In James's letter, we find those words in chapter 2 about faith without works is dead. That faith is intended, that faith that, that faith that God gives us, that faith is intended to, to result in faithfulness. Faith is 
to be faithful. And when we choose not to be faithful, it kindles in God in anger. In fact, reluctant faith, James would argue, isn't faith at all. Reluctant faith taken to the extreme is not faith at all. Now, it may be that you grew up in a home in which there was a parent that had real anger issues. And so maybe when you hear about God being angry, you, you, uh, you struggle with that. Listen, God never sins in his anger. God never sins in his anger. His, his anger is not used as a tool to control anybody. God is fully love. God, God is love. God always loves. But God is also God. And when we say, no, God, I don't want to. I'm disinclined. Eh, find somebody else. That kindles in God in anger. You know, the book of Hebrews is such an amazing book. Um, There are a number of different places where, uh, out of of all the authors in the New Testament, the author here comes closest to what we're talking about today. Uh, There's something in chapter 6, there's something in chapter 10, something in chapter 12 on this subject. In chapter 12, it's about the Lord disciplines his children. Listen, when when we're uh, in need of being disciplined, in this need of, uh, of being shown a, a more faithful way, God chooses to discipline. In, in chapter 10, it raises the whole thing that, listen, if we keep on sinning, if we keep on saying, no, God, I just prefer to live my life my own way, it raises the question, what other sacrifice is left to give? Jesus has already died. Here's some good news. Even though God's anger was kindled with Moses, he didn't give up on him. In fact, in Moses' case, he provides a workaround. Okay, Moses, I get you don't want to do it. I'm angry, but I'm going to provide Aaron. And we're going to move forward and we're going to get this done. There's no verse that says, I'll always provide a workaround. In Moses' situation, he did. But the clear thing is, God didn't give up on Moses. And God won't give up on us either. God won't give up on us either. So we began by testing our reluctance. What if we were then to test our faithfulness? What if we were to test our faithfulness pulse? And maybe you can just sit and think about this, that do... I want to honor God. Do I want to honor God? God redeems and is worthy of all honor. Do I want to honor God? Do I want to be used by God? God calls you. He called Moses. He calls, generally, he calls you and me. Do I want to be used by God? Do I want to be used by God? He wants to use us. Do I want to see others experience God's love, God's redemption, even through me? Do I want others to experience redemption from enslavement to sin to freedom in Christ, from death to life? Do I want this? In my heart of hearts, do I want this? God wants us to want it. We can know this today. 
God wants to use us. He used Moses. It was true for Moses, true generally. It's true for you and me. There is this great task, even greater than a task, a ministry before us. It's the call of ministry and redemption in the name of God. So today, let's give up our reluctant ways. Let's give up our reluctant ways. Moses, Moses is what God said. Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. What if we said a little bit more than Moses and we said what Isaiah said? Isaiah responded, here I am. Send me. May God hear from us. Here I am. Send me. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you are a God who calls. You are a God who provides. God, in all of our crises of stature and affiliation and humanity and all the, all the different things that we come up with to, to say, I'm not sure this is going to work, that you're the God who makes sure things work to your glory. And so, God, wherever we are just pure, obstinate, pure, reluctant, confront us, shift us, challenge us, grow us. Do what you need to do so that we surrender to your will. Respond to your call with faithfulness. To you be the glory in all these things. In Christ's name, amen.